Hello and welcome to hey, Robbie, another. Real quick, God uh, damn it! <laughs> real quick, dude. Um, yeah. Did you know up? that? Did you know that there's a lot of cars in these movies that we're about to talk about? There's, I mean, there's two cars really. Yeah. There's and two. Th- no, there's a lot of cars. There's well, many, sure. many cars. But there's only like two important cars. And you know the thing about cars? They. Uh, well, they drive. They yes. hold people. They yes, get to they destinations. Do. Yep, and it is probably the one of the biggest flops of the Pixar industry. <laughs> Those movies suck. Welcome to the newest episode of Stalking Carpenter, the podcast where we have a lot of fun because you guys gave us the money to allow us to do whatever the fuck this is. Stalking Carpenter, as you know, a show where we stock john carpenter's work from the early beginnings of dark star to whatever his last movie is i don't know yet uh today we are talking about dat christine and dat starman starman a movie seen for the first time now same with christine but starman's a movie i like very much very excited to break into it but i am joined as a, i'm robbie anderson i don't know if i said that i'm robbie what was my nickname cars I'm Robbie the Car Anderson, and I'm joined by uh, uh, Cars Mike, Three, Mike, Mike Burns, Lemon, Mike Lemon Myers. They didn't make a Cars Three, did they? Oh, they did. They did, or Ooh. is it Planes? Or is Planes different? No, they also did a Planes. I think they did two Planes ones. Uh, I thought Cars was a flop. Why were they just? Why were yeah, they no, like? It's well, like the planes. the Cars and Planes movies are just absolutely just like fucking smut movies like they're just <laughs> disgusting little creatures uh mike how you doing you've been pretty busy um we've been trying to do this podcast for it was like 52 weeks yeah we fell a little to... bit behind so we're, we're playing catch up right now we've got uh speaking of cars we've got like a big drive-in going on over in beacon right now we just opened this past weekend and We've been trying to record this little bad boy for quite some time, but, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. I'm over the drive-in right now. I want to talk cars. Cars. Uh, yeah, let's talk about... Pixar's cars. Let's talk about Christine, man. The Stephen King adaptation. Uh, the first adapted work that John Carpenter has done, to my knowledge. Correct me if I'm wrong. At Uh, this point in his career. No, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and this is hot off, is this, this is this right after The Thing as well? Um, I believe that this is, yeah, Christine is immediately following The Thing, and the thing about these two movies, Christine and Starman, 1983-1984, back-to-back, is that they are following, um, the absolute box office and critical disaster of The Thing. So that's what I was gonna bring up. What's, what's the, there's a lot of, like, kind of added weight to Christine. Christine's very safe. Yes, both of these movies are relatively safe in the world that they were made in. Looking back on it now, you're like, Starman's a 
fucking crazy movie to make. <laughs> that movie is insane. It was like that's that goes to kind of show just like the early '80s mentality of like what you know the 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 like they there was two big scripts going on a little little ditty called Starman and a little ditty called E.T. the Extraterrestrial and everybody was passing on E.T. because it was a kids movie and everybody went on over to Starman. And they thought that was going to be the big thing. And then E.T. became like the biggest movie of all time at Ever. the time. Yeah. Um, the alien does not fuck the human protagonist in E.T., however. So Starman. I haven't seen, I haven't seen E.T., so that's kind of a spoiler. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I thought that I thought that the, the young man and the, and the extraterrestrial would, would make you talk, it. Are, are you talking about the boy? He's a young man the in the film, chi- right? The child? <laughs> Well, how old is E.T.? E.T. is also uh, revealed to be a child. Spoiler alert. Oh, so then, you know, it's it's weird, but it's not like yeah. the weirdest thing. Kids like hanging out, parents aren't around, doing you know, stuff things, that they saw on TV. It's, things happen. You Ugh, know? That's kind of weird. I don't talk about this shit. Yeah. Well, never mind. E.T. looks like a giant penis monster, but it's for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, so Christine has a little bit of like added weight to it. I think Christine's a lot of fun. I think uh, one of the things that struck me about the movie is uh, how much of like a Stephen King story it felt like. Yeah. Given like kind of the the other Stephen King and like you know now in in the year twenty twenty we've we've seen many a Stephen King adaptation. Mm. So many. You and I have our our favorite movie we've ever seen, The Dark Tower. That's. You know, another very, oh. very well done, well accomplished the, Stephen King. The Darkest Tower. The Darkest Tower. Our favorite, probably our favorite Stephen King adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's no, a good bit. It's a good bit. It's good. Keep, it's fine. Keep, it's keep it it's not a bit. It's my favorite movie. Pretty proud of you, uh, Mike. What's your What's your history with Christine? This is obvious. I don't think this is the first time you've seen it. I am no, no. Uh, Christine is. Uh, is uh, one of my favorite Carpenter movies that's kind of off the the big movies. You know, you've got your The Thing, Escape from New York, Halloween, They Live. Um, I love Christine because I think it's a, an extremely, um, like, kind of low-tier Carpenter uh, with higher budget, if you know what I mean. It's kind of, yes. it's got the atmosphere and attitude of Halloween with a little bit more of the approachability and budget of like early 80s Carpenter after the success of Halloween Escape from New York, The Fog and, you know, after doing the thing and having it not be successful and him kind of playing it a little safe. Uh, it's got one of my favorite characters in any Carpenter movie, um, which is not Christine the Car, who really is like the main character of this movie. Christine the Car, it, we'll, I'm sure, touch on more in a bit about how the links they go to make that car a character yeah. and how cool it is. Mm-hmm. But please go on. But yeah, Your favorite no, character. Uh, Arnie, I think the character of Arnie is so fucking cool. I think that uh, there's just such a, a classical, almost literary sensibility to it of this like kind of nerd who's like uh, like doesn't know anything. Uh, I think a lot of the uh, misogynistic elements of this movie are done very much on purpose for the effect that they do give us in this kind of, you know, 21st century mentality of how locker room talk works and how boys talk about girls in high school behind their backs. I think it's all very much done as these are kids 
and that, you know, the seeds of the things that make Arnie a bad person towards the end uh, are laid are laid there. And I always love the idea that, like, as Christine is being rebuilt from the ground up, so is Arnie in a certain way, and he's being completely redefined, and all of his wants and needs and desires are being um, just, like, not even, like, recontextualized but just kind of like aimed in a more specific point and it becomes sharper and sharper until he's just not even really the person that he was anymore uh i think it's a really cool and that's like the crux of the movie for me is the relationship that arnie has with his parents with his best friend uh with his love interest and with the car and how that kind of changes where the car is just always this kind of overlooming evil um that is behind all of this. And I, that's the thing that always kind of drew me to Christine is that it's got some really cool character development work. Even if it only is really with one character, nobody else really gets all that much to do. They're very ancillary characters to Arnie's arc and journey, like as tragic as it is. And so in watching Christine a lot, when I was a kid, like, this was kind of my mentality of what high school was like when I was going to high school. Like I, wa- <laughs> I watched this when I was in, when I was much younger and I was like, Oh, that's what high school's like. You get a car and do all this. Like when I first got my first car, I was thinking about Christine constantly. I didn't have a super nice car like that. I just had like a, your car was an evil. I no, no, I had a 91 Honda civic that I crashed into a fucking truck. Oh geez. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are, there are a lot of like the, and I'm curious, like, you know, there's a lot of like staple, like high school isms in this movie that are a lot of fun. Like it almost like at times feels like a John Hughes movie, but I feel like it kind of predates a lot of like those films to my understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, not that, you know, obviously like the, the high school tropes have been around for quite some time, but this movie, like does a lot of them and I think like really early and uh yeah this movie it it feels very classic kind of immediately it's very like mint very classic much like the car that it that it is it's like on the cover of it um I like everything you were saying about Arnie as a character and uh, you know I after playing a game that we both really like called uh The Last of Us 2 uh, it's got me thinking about characters uh, and got me thinking about like arcs and how st- for a character to change and to have a complete arc, the arc doesn't always have to end like the arc doesn't always have to end positively. Right. The character doesn't always need to undergo positive change. And uh, I like these stories that have like downward spiraling arcs. And I think that's, like, very interesting. I think it's very interesting to have, like, you're right, like, the character who has, like, the most screen time, the most speaking lines, the, the main character other than Christine is Arnie. And he, his points of change are, are exclusively downward because he doesn't get any better as a person. You know, it leads no, to, like, ultimate but he demise. But he thinks that he is. Yeah, and I think that's very, that's very interesting. And I, you know, I don't know... Even in in Carpenter movies, I can't think of a film where, you know, there's a character who doesn't undergo a change for the better. Like, this is kind of like, you know, he's he's our central protagonist. He's the protagonist of this film. And it's like, you know, he almost has like a Breaking Bad arc, but like with no redemption, you know? Sure. Yeah, he's not even redeemed at the end. He's he's just, uh, 
he realizes, you know, like the car does love him, but is kind of using him. It's all about relationships, the entire movie. Um, yeah. I, I will say when you were on arcs, it just reminded me I'm, I'm currently reading through like a bunch of, um, uh, film studies books. And, uh, I want to give a shout out to these two. You should borrow these. These are specifically about to. arcs and storytelling. John York's, uh, Into the Woods, How Stories Work and Why We Tell Them. And more specifically, uh, Creating Character Arcs by, um, K.M. Wieland. These are fantastic books all about, um, just identity and uh, moment-to-moment uh, explanation and truths and stuff that you want to put into your screenwriting and everything. Or And the main thing is, like, I'm reading a lot of these things on how these types of... How these different uh, stages of a movie being made are approached and developed and designed and how they're made themselves, which will help me, I think, uh, be able to kind of deconstruct from what I'm watching and being like, oh, that's a rule that was broken. So they're doing this. If they broke that, that probably means this loaded with really good stuff. Highly recommend to our readers to check those out. Both are very easily found books on Amazon for like five, 10 bucks. Uh, can't recommend them enough. Very, very interesting. Cool. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the character of, um, the character of like the car, Christine itself is has the exact same relationship arc as every other character surrounding Arnie, his girlfriend, his best friend, his parents, his boss. It's all about relationships and what you put into a relationship will give you, will be what you get back. And the tragedy at the end is that he's given absolutely everything to Christine and Christine does care for Arnie, but at the end of the, and, and is doing all of these things for Arnie and when Arnie dies, tries to exact revenge, but it's kind of like this uh, abusive relationship, obviously, where yeah. Christine is, you know, if Christine was a person that was doing all of this stuff, it, it's very, um, you know, like, it's like they're changing everything about the person that they're getting in this relationship with to turn them into exactly what they want them to be, which is more emblematic of the type of person that would be driving this specific type of car back when it was first made. Yeah, like it's the '80s, but he like eventually turns into like a fucking grease uh, extra background extra. Like by the yeah. end of it, <laughs> his uh, his outfits are insane in the in the film. Uh, he has that one vest. He gets hot, man. He gets fucking hot. He gets something. He gets something. Yeah, I guess he gets hot. Yeah, he gets pretty hot. He gets hot. Um, shout out to the special effects of this film. Uh, I was blown. I was blown away, and I you know I've been talking to you now for a few weeks. Every time we like. You know, talk about Christine a little bit, but I'm I was blown away at the uh, the way that the the car would put itself together. Yeah, and you know, I tried to look up like some some information on how they did that. And yeah. It seemed to be kind of like foamy hydraulic. F- yeah, special effects, close ups, and stuff. Reverse like that. reverse editing, um, mm-hmm. a lot of fake cars and stuff like that. It's uh, yeah, it's all it's all fairly simple stuff. There's just a lot of it, and they put and it all together, well. and it becomes yeah. very. And that's the thing is John Carpenter. Um, he knows which special effects people to work with, and he also very much knows where to put the camera for certain things and how to edit things to keep them looking realistic. It's the Jurassic Park yeah. mentality, where if sure. if you stop Jurassic Park and you actually look at things and you're not engrossed in the story, you can see the you can see the edges. You can go, oh, that's an animatronic. Oh. 
that's uh, CGI. But if you're yeah. just in it and you're watching it, the cuts and the camera angles and everything, everything just flows together. The Raptors in the kitchen scene is one of the best examples of that, where they are constantly cutting between big animatronics, sticks with just arm raptor arms at the end of it, and full-on CGI elements tossed onto either a completely computer-generated set or an actual set that was shot on the day. And they're just mixing and matching all of them where you can't keep up. Before your brain yeah. even realizes that that was an animatronic, they're on a CGI, and then they're back to animatronic again. And that's one of the things that's so interesting about The Thing and Christine and even, like, we'll get to uh, that big old baby moment in Starman. Oh, my fucking God. It's just, like, it's really, yeah. really all about where you put the camera and what that placement and all the editing choices communicates about the really cool special effects that you're doing. Yeah, it's it's a similar philosophy to... Uh, I, I just watched a, a video kind of about... Um, like breaking down like not only the history of animation but like the good it's it's the the videos by corridor crew they they do the special effect, effects breakdown videos they also do stunt breakdown videos and now they decided to do animation breakdown videos the first episode's a banger where they do the first ever animation ever made and they also talk about akira and it's very cool but they had a, a very like prolific animator on the episode and one of the things he was talking about is in animation um, and it's very similar to special effects, but it's all about distracting the viewer's eye. And it's yeah. all about like, you know, keeping them focused on something because there are things that are kind of like, you know, like in animation, there's a lot of things on loops to save you time from having to keep drawing these individual, uh, page or these in individual images. So, you know, like a motorcycle will just hover up and down, up and down, but you're not meant to see that simplification of animation you're meant to see like someone bashing their face into another person or something like that mm -hmm. so it's all kind of i mean movie making is movie magic because of its ability to do sleight of hand and and this is no different yeah 100 percent. it's uh the, the movie is just uh it's crazy that it doesn't have a, a bigger following you know it it's i was surprised too because it's 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 super in line with everything any other yeah. any other stephen king adaptation mm -hmm. so even like so like the people who are like stephen king heads which there are are many of them yeah. um you know this is this is just i think this is just as good as like if not better than a lot of the stephen king adaptations i i've sure. seen i mean and know? this is like you know on the stephen king side of it like Stephen King is just coming off of stuff like Pet Cemetery, and you know people are making Stephen King's stuff into movies. Yeah, I mean, um, how how close is this to um, Children of the Corn? Like, uh, Children of the Corn, I believe, yeah, has got to be right around this point uh, because Linda Hamilton's in that, and um, she was in Terminator, which was um, what was it, uh, eighty. 85 and this is 83 so this has got to be i can't remember if children let me look it up as if i can <laughs> sorry uh 84 is children of the corn so this is so the year uh after christine is um is uh children of the corn so a yeah. lot of and that's that's part of this thing where everyone's like stephen king what else you got going on what do you want and he's like well i got this book coming out christine um, they toss it over to the producer. They're making the movie. They're bumping into some problems. The book comes out. Uh, it's a massive number one bestseller immediately. The pressure is on. They yeah. start doing some more fun stuff. And they end up making a pretty kick-ass movie. 
Uh, it's fun, man. It's crazy that you can make movies back in the eighties that were rated R that can be so intense. Like they're not, they haven't hit the quadrants thing yet, where it's like they're no, no, no. You got to put this amount of money into this for that, and to be able to yield this from these different quadrants. Um, but it's it's also like you know, I I have mentioned to you like we're in kind of like a Steve a, a, a Steve Renaissance. Yeah, we're in we're in like phase two or three of yeah. of, of him where, really hitting again. Yeah, where yeah. we have like directors who uh, Mike Flanagan in particular, who is a director, one of my favorite directors. I'm so happy that he's finally blasting off because um, I've been a big fan of his ever since the Oculus Hush days. Um, yeah. Which Hush fucks go watch hush, that hush movie. Fucking, hush, hush, hush fucks. Hush fucks. It's on hush, fucks. Netflix, right? It's yeah. a Netflix movie. Yeah, Netflix uh, it distributed it. Um, Mike Flanagan is really good at, uh, taking, uh, specifically taking Stephen King movies that everyone thought you cannot do. Um, yeah. Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep. Um, yeah. what, what's the, uh, Gerald's Game is like a very big one where everyone has always been like, can we make Gerald's Game? And that's the one that got him yeah, that, Dr. That, Sleep. That, that got cracked him, exactly. Because right? he cracked yeah. it. And the same thing with, you know, Haunting of Hill House, because that was another thing that people were like, you cannot make this movie. They've adapted Haunted of Hill House before, yes, right? with the haunting and the haunting of Hill House gotcha. proper itself, and it's it's more like it's it's a very complicated story that is not what the show ended up being, and it's just yeah. a very like haunted house, like four people go in and blah blah blah. There's a doctor it's and so all this spooky. different stuff, and it's been done countless times before like that, but it never was able to like really hook anybody with the with the themes that the book was so um intensely uh regarded for all of the themes started kind of dropping away for just spectacle and he was able to kind of change that by changing the story and altering the characters a little bit and creating haunting of hill house which you know i think it will go down in history as one of the greatest uh seasons of tv ever made like the fact that it exists as a season of tv is a miracle yeah, it's from a storytelling perspective, it's amazing, and and from a technical like filmmaking perspective, it's a it's a marvel. Like it's yes. it's incredible. Yeah, perfect you know? word for it. And so Christine is very much like just like Pet Cemetery. Christine is just like this very. He gets all of the things that are about all of the things that King is kind of doing with Christine about relationships and um trust and all of these different things and culture wars in high school john carpenter is like getting in there and just like dicing it down and changing what he needs to change to make it make sense in the movie i believe in the book christine is haunted by the guy who died in the car when it is sold to uh arnie and like it doesn't have i believe it doesn't have a history of being haunted before that I think that's kind of something. I might be wrong, but I think that that's what I've heard. Um, you know, so obviously they kind of cut that out. I do know that it was something very different than what's in the movie, and that they yeah. changed it to kind of make it more of this kind of like relationship ethereal thing, yeah, and make it yeah. where it's like you just meet this thing and it's and you're in love with it, you know. And there's there's lines in this script that are like, you know, when Arnie's talking about like when you love someone you'll do anything for them and it changes everything and you can do anything if they love you too. There's like really any, any other situation that this stuff could be 
attributed to. If this was like in a romantic comedy or even like a drama and Arnie was talking about another person that he was falling in love with and that was the point in the plot of that movie would be very poignant, relatable things. But the fact that he's talking about a car and we can physically see that he is in like the middle of a mental breakdown, yeah. it makes it kind of horrifying because we still get what he's saying only he's saying it about something that's crazy. And I think that's a very overlooked thing in the movie, that there are these small sensibilities and obvious choices that are made that are completely different from anything else I've seen that kind of deals with possessed objects and possessed cars in particular in movies. There's plenty of those. Yeah, and I think the the real uh, defining characteristic that makes it feel separate is just the characterization of... Christine, right? It's the it's making this car feel like a character and feels like a character that, you know, will do bad, but because of Arnie, because of what's affecting Arnie, like, you know, it's it's car assassinations, if you will, mm-hmm. are, you know, at the behest of what Arnie desires or what or what what the car thinks is best for Arnie. Yeah. And the car is not afraid to be like, well, if we just get rid of this dude. Right, my boy, my boyfriend will have a much better life, and that's that's kind of like this demon's logic, you know. Mm-hmm. And the car just wants to be treated nice. I mean, all that is know, that is very true. I mean, that's, that's that's it. That's all the car wants, right? Yeah, like it's not inherently. Well, I mean, it's maybe like I don't know. I don't even know what's inherently evil. We we learn the the opening scene to this movie is brilliant because like they just set up this car as being like it has the capacity to kill on its own yes and that and like it doesn't it doesn't give you any like voodoo mumbo jumbo doesn't give you any like spirit transfer stuff you get a little bit of that with like old man exposition but before that even happens like it's the car just really is like yo don't fuck with me i'm a nice thing like don't fuck with me yes i'll kill i'll kill you and that's kill you yeah and that's kind of like a very like interesting place to just drop like I, I love, I love movies that kind of just like they they explain things so simply and matter of factly. It's like the car has a spirit; the car can just do it. Since it got off the line, it's been able to think and be cognizant. So that's just where we are now with it. Yes, yes. accept it or stop watching the movie. Yes, it's uh the movie is it's a good movie. Like it, it's, it's a great. It's great. It's got some yeah. cool kills. It's got some fun character acting. Uh it's got a really fucking great soundtrack that just fucking bumps. You know what I mean, man? <laughs> it's good. Don't know if you've ever heard that song. Have you ever heard that song? That's the name of the song. Is it how many bees? How many bubbles? Why don't you fucking count? Cars one, cars two, cars three. <laughs> Planes. Uh, before we jump into Starman, do you have any other closing thoughts about Christine? Uh, great movie, underappreciated. Uh, the fact that it's tucked between, or the fact that it's like tucked right at the tail end of like this massive run of Carpenter, and that it is kind of regarded as kind of like you know this little dip that he has with um, you know with Christine. And Starman before, like, kind of the big emergence of the... Because we're about to... These are considered a dip. And then, okay. and then we are about to hit his his big, massive next trilogy that kind of cements... Okay, this wasn't a fluke where he just had, like, four 
um, kick-ass, kick-ass movies, movies yeah. because he just like right place, right time. And now he's kind of like going down a little bit as far as like critical reception. Cause at the time the thing was not considered good. Sure. Um, but he's about to come back with big trouble in little China, Prince of darkness. And they live back to back in the span of three years. Again, just bashing out modern masterpieces yeah. of different genres. Like, Big Trouble in Little China is like an action comedy. Prince of Darkness is a disturbing horror movie. Like, probably his most disturbing yet as far as tone. Maybe closest with The Thing. And They Live is just like... I can't even put They Live into a genre. Let's see like what they actually have the genre for here on this. What is... They don't. It, it literally doesn't have a genre. <laughs> Nothing. Let's see. No, somebody's got to say it's something. Uh, moderate profanity. Uh, synopsis. Genre action horror. Okay. I guess so. Fair fair enough. I guess so. That's all of his movies. I mean, if you want to boil down John sure. Carpenter, yeah. then yeah, they're all they're all action horror movies, right? But it's like, it's also really funny and it's like very kind of satirical. I'm really excited for you to watch that one because that is yeah. a fucking pertinent right now. But I mean, we're you know, I, we're not there yet. I mean, I, I'm I'm a fan as someone who, it, and it's crazy, like you know, coming as someone who hasn't who had seen some Carpenter movies but has not seen all Carpenter movies. Like my perception of him, and I think people who who would be in my position would say the same, is that he's just the horror guy, right? And he's so much more, even even already at this point in what we're doing the podcast, and like it's already so much more varied than that, right? Like. Like it's it, it's it's surprising to me that he's just gotten this this history or this kind of nomenclature of being the horror guy, where it's like uh, he's kind of he kind of does way more than that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, a movie that I think it's, to me is one of my favorite Carpenter movies so far, and it, it stands out, I think, from a lot of his other movies to this point. Uh, Starman. 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 It's oh, Starman time. You, oh, no. Starman oh. time. Oh, I hate Mike. Uh, for the listener, Mike, uh, on on the Zoom chat we're on, turned on the Starman himself <laughs> as his background. You look like a nightmare. Yeah. Well, I'm wearing a green shirt. You kind of look like you kind of look like Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. What? What is chicken? I don't know. He, what is he? He just doesn't know what anything is. He's a fucking moron. He doesn't know what anything he's is. He's a fucking yeah. idiot. <laughs> he's a dumb fucking. Yeah, so Starman is this movie about this fucking idiot. <laughs> this stupid who, like, fucking. Lance moron. doesn't know what anything is. He's fucking hot. He's thought. He knows what's up, he's but hot. doesn't he's know what's thought. up. That's what it is. Yeah, he's thought and doesn't know what's up. Uh, this movie. Yeah, you, I was I'm so, pretty happy that you like Starman. Dude, do people not like Starman? It's so weird it's, and cool. Uh, I mean, it's just a weird It's a weird movie. movie. You know, you can't deny that this is a super weird movie. You know? Yeah. And I like Starman, but I've always considered it. I've always been kind of in the camp that it's like, it's a little bit of a dip. Because it's not, it's John Carpenter, you know... When the thing happened, he went, all right, I can do two things. I can double down on the horror stuff for like Halloween-esque, Stephen King's the right way to go, or I can try and maybe do something a little bit more approachable, a little bit more of a general wider audience. Why don't I do like a kind of romantic adventure, like a drama kind of thing? 
and that was yeah. Starman that he landed on because it still had his sci-fi, um, his sci-fi technique. So one of the reasons I thought it was really good to put these two movies together is because this is him kind of taking the two genres that he's most well known for and kind mm-hmm. of doing a different hyper exaggerated version of them. With Christine, he's doing a more straightforward adaptation of already pre-established stuff to be able to sell the movie as opposed to trying to pitch people on a new high concept idea and Starman, he's just like what about a sci-fi movie but with hot people who fuck who make sex uh i I was yeah man i was blown away from it i mean you know the movie has a vibe and in the beginning the thing that really got me on board with the movie the thing that was kind of just like all right you're I'm fucking. This is a Robin movie. Is is that fucking alien baby at the beginning? Is <laughs> the most nightmarish thing I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, I was just like, oh, so this movie is like a fucking freak show. Like this is like the weirdest. This is like a weird movie um, because it's so it's so confident in its strangeness. And that's yes. what I and I love and I love that about it. I love that it's it's so like. It's 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 not shy at it all. It is being un- like, unapologetic about how oh weird it knows it's being, and it's like just come along with it, man. You got it. I mean, yeah. and it's, it's gonna work. It's fucking ET. It's like the same fucking story. It's ET, but fucks. Yeah. It, well, I mean, an ET also fucks. Like, let's not. Well, I mean, ET as it uh, ET, but intercourse. Unless you're saying ET also has sex and. The film. I mean, there's cuts, there's edits. We don't know. We don't stay with them the whole time. We have no idea what's going on. You'd be doing some weird shit. Yeah, I like I like Starman. Talk to me about Starman. Like, look, all all I have (laughs) to say about Starman is uh, Jeff Bridges is super fucking hot in it. I love the way he flips that gun with how good his arm looks. Uh, The scene where he brings (laughs) back the deer makes me cry every single time. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Um, Yeah. uh, I also told you that. I was like, there's something that's going to happen in the movie that's going to make you fucking bug the fuck out. And that the part that I'm talking about is going to happen after you think that it's already happened twice. I, so, yeah, I'm curious what this bug out scene was because I, I don't think I caught it necessarily. So you think the bug out moment might be the baby stuff. But the bug out think- moment for me is that regardless of what you might be able to predict is going to happen in the movie... And eventually what does happen in the movie. Um, This movie shoots its lead actress in the side of the head and and torso with a shotgun by a cop and kill her. Yeah. And there's blood everywhere. And it happens very quickly and abruptly. It's something that's so out of tone with this movie, but so entirely in tone with something like Assault in Precinct 13 or Halloween in Carpenter's Wheelhouse that it's, it it really shocked me when I watched it this time. I think that, like, I think that's totally fair. I think the only thing that like dampens that shock for me is just that, you know, the the bringing back the deer sets up that he has this It's all built there and we are. It's all there. Yeah. And I think the way that he was able to get away with it from the studio is like, I've already positioned that he can bring her back. People we know will she's not be back. scared. They still yeah. make the, the sentence remains. They shoot their lead at co-lead romantic yeah. lead in the side of the torso and head with a shotgun by a cop and kill yes. her. Yeah. It's pretty fucking wild. She's, she's dead, she right? Dies. I mean, like, I think the implication she is dies. that she's, she's dead. dead. Yeah. yeah. And he brings, and he her back. brings her back to life. I put a baby That's in crazy. you. 
Yeah, there's there's some like I have like some little notes that I wrote like on my phone as I was watching it. And you know, like like I love like the the subtle things that like show that he is otherworldly, I think are really cool. Like his ability to like change the channel by like touching the TV. Yeah, he's got fun you little know, like, superpowers. Totally. Well, and it's well it's so simple and it and it doesn't require a lot of special effects and things like that, but it, it can just make him seem so otherworldly. Whether it's like, you know, they they put a really bright light in his hand so you can kind of see the light flash through his skin. Like that's just enough to communicate to the audience like, oh, he's doing a thing, you know? And I love those like simple touches that really anyone can do in filmmaking, you know, mm-hmm. you can make your first film and make an alien movie. And if you watch Starman, I think you'd have a leg up on a lot of people because a lot of the things they do in this movie are practical and just easy to do. He has a metal ball that is the is you know the, it can do anything. Yes, and, and he uses it for anything, and it's, and it's brilliant. You know, yes. Uh, uh, people kissing in the movie makes me crazy. Th- their kissing in this movie is like because movie kissing is always like not great, right? Movie kissing, or it's not. It's not accurate. It's not accurate to like what actual kissing is usually like. Sure, yeah. Actual kissing can be a little, uh, <laughs> a, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more subtle, even in the highest throes of passion. But <laughs> when they kiss in this movie, it's just like I'm sure it's intentional. It's like, oh my god, I can't, like, I can't watch this. It's crazy. Yeah, and also them fucking is intense. It's pretty good. It's good stuff. It's pretty good stuff. Um. Yeah, I mean, him giving her to baby is weird, but I, I, you know, I think that like their the way their relationship grows, where you know, it's set up to where they're gonna fucking fall in love. But I thought it was very like well handled, very like subtly handled. The things that make her fall in love with this alien man like seem believable enough given the context of the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was really, I mean, I think the thing that really that really made me like so hot on it is that like, you know, it's a really, I love its sweetness. I love, I love it's like genre bending. Like I love that. It's like very sci-fi. It's super sci-fi, but still has a lot of charm. And I think like when you're on the spectrum of genre, sometimes when you go further down the sci-fi like lane, you, you stray farther away from charm and the best sci-fi movies are the ones that like get to keep charm intact. I think that's why a lot of people like, like a star Trek, you know, like I think star Trek has like a lot of charm to it. Sure. I think star Wars can have a lot of charm to it. Um, there's a lot of times where it doesn't, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, but I think like, I think this movie, like it just has a ton. It just like, it's so it's is it's like delightful and 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 they do fish out of water really well without like you know kind of they don't beat you over the head with it too much or they make it you know they make it fun it's fun enough sure um but yeah I thought you know it's it's a very sweet movie I really I really enjoyed watching it because like I thought its romanticness worked for me and 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 I think the other thing that I kept thinking about during the movie is like I it's not that I couldn't believe it was a Carpenter movie but it was just kind of like. Oh wow, he can he really can do anything cuz like I I never thought Carpenter could do like not that he could not that he wasn't capable of that but he'd be interested in doing like a romantic story that's still in line with his skill set. Right. You know, to see to see romance through a Carpenter lens sounds really fucking weird and guess what? It is. And yeah. It's cool. Yes. I I mean these are all yes. Starman is like all of those things and it's yeah. it's a weird movie. I I think it's really funny that 
it's um I like how approachable it is and that like I if if memory serves me correctly, I don't think that there really is anything else much like this in um in Carpenter's career besides maybe Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which we'll get to eventually, which is um very much more kind of in line, you know, if if this one is like sci-fi romance, that one's more kind of sci-fi comedy, but it's got like a romantic plot in it. Yeah. Um it's weird. It it sticks out like a sore thumb uh, amongst his sure. among his stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it was a really big success. It's a classic film. Um there's just fucking it's good. Like it just works and it's good. And it shouldn't work. <clears throat> That's the big no, thing here yeah. is that like the the how this all comes together with his score for tone and him his direction and who he picked to be these characters, you know, um like the fact that uh like Jeff Bridges, I'm I'm trying to see exactly what what your boy Jeff Bridges have been doing around that time. He's already very uh solidified because he was in um what is it called uh, the 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 last picture show is that what it's called or is it like the last movie theater in Texas what the fuck am i talking about here i mean those are different i think it's different names. i think it's literally called the last picture show and that I, sounds familiar it kind of sucks that i can't remember it straight off the back of my head but even more importantly um you know he has already been in like fuck it what like king kong uh, Tron was actually the year before this. Um, yes, it is called The Last Picture Show. I was right. Uh, I, it's go. okay. Whatever. Uh, he is already insanely, insanely established Yeah. Uh, at this point in his career. He's, he's doing this movie where he plays like a bird, basically. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it's in. he does a great job playing a bird. He's amazing. He's, he's, amazing. he's an absolute fucking delight. Um, and you also have uh, Karen Allen, who just a few years before, like, just fucking wrecked the world alongside Harrison Ford and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. You know, and uh, she's, I'm, I'm kind of taking a peek now at everything else. I mean, she was obviously blipped up in Animal House, like, a few years beforehand. And then after Starman, she's very much just kind of, uh, she, you know, she's she's Claire in Scrooged. Um uh, and then she's in like she works with a lot of really cool directors and stuff. She works with like Spike Lee with Malcolm X. Uh, she's the mom in the Sandlot. You know, it's she. She kind of pops up in all of these things. But beforehand, she'd really just been like Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Jeff that Bridges was, was just like I'm motherfucking Jeff Bridges. <clears throat> and they put these two together to kind of yield this chemistry that isn't necessarily believable but it's the type of chemistry you specifically need in order for the tone of this movie to work because you have yeah. to you you can never fully buy into this thing because it is so um extraterrestrial in the very like in the sense of how it communicates to us it's it's a very foreign feeling movie where it hits all of the beats that you expect a movie about this plot to hit but it hits them in very charming and almost original ways. You can't be completely original with the material that you're dealing with here because it's been done so many times and it's such a, a classic attempt at a story. Yeah. But, but I think yeah. it's 
Yeah, I think like, you know, it's I totally agree. And I think like, you know, it's originality for me, like like the things that I kept hitting on were, you know, it's it's carpenterisms, so it's like it's vibe where the camera is, the special effects. That really kind of blew me away. It's simplicity kind of applying to those same things. And also like, you know, the ability to communicate like someone being otherworldly, I thought was very unique to this movie. Sure. Yeah. Like we've seen fish out of water characters we've seen aliens in movies before people disguise or aliens disguised as humans but i felt like it was so genuine the way they do it in this movie and they were so like like plotting and slow to make jeff bridges become more human like yeah he, he never becomes like way he never becomes like i'm a normal person <laughs> no but like no but he they really take their time and use the film's presented logic for him to become more and more human. Like when he runs like the yellow light and they're like, why the fuck did you do that? And he's like, I watched you do this thing. Yeah. I'm just doing what you do. And the, and, and the movie like obeys its logic so painfully. And I really, and that's another thing I really like the, about the movie. It's like, it, it, it really follows its own rules and the payoff is so worth it. You know? Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny it's got the, all the things, like, you know, it's just got all the things, got all the things. <laughs> that you need for something like this to do. It's funny, it's romantic, yeah. um, and it's just genuinely a, kind of, like, I don't want to say it's a blast to watch, you know, but it's, it's like, it's, it's fun. fucking yeah. cool. Like, it's got its action in there, too, like, you know, it's not... It's. It, I don't think there's ever really a dull moment in it, you know? Sure. Like, it's got all of the little things that you need these specific types of movies to have. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And, you know, to, to end the conversation on, uh, you know, I really love uh, the ending sequence. Like, when, when his, like, orb mothership comes down onto the desert. Oh, yeah. And it just, I just love the way it looks. Like, it's, like, the colors are really cool. The, the like, particle effects happening are really interesting. They they will not do a sequel to Starman. They, there will be no Starman <laughs> two, but but they set it up in a way to me where I'm just like I want to know what that kid's like. Is he fucking weird? Right. Um, yeah, he's probably maybe not really fucking weird. Yeah, it was just like I got weird powers and I have my father's orb that I don't know what that does. My father's little so orb. Silly. Uh, but yeah, Starman's cool movie. Uh, you know, as far as Carpenter quality dips go. I'm pretty. I'm pretty on board for it. You know, mm-hmm. him playing it safe is still a lot more fun and a lot more uh, risky than a lot of movies I've seen today. So right, yeah, and there's like that's like kind of the the uh, the the cool thing about it is that there is this um, there is this like you mentioned all of his little carpenterisms, all of his all yeah. of his little tiny things that make his movies so entertaining are uh, very much there and very much showcased in a completely different way than what you would think that they would be. uh, How I guess what I'm trying to say is like how this movie presents these things is because it's Carpenter doing it, you know? It's because he's got what he needs to be able to do to be able to do this really weird movie that might not work unless it was like, aimed more at kids and has kind of that Spielberg magic and stuff. It feels very much like a Spielberg movie. It does, but like, 
But it it if you yes, but it's it's still such a Carpenter movie, and that's yes. like and it's it's his Carpenterisms that he it. puts in there that make it something you know because like I love Spielberg, he's my boy, but sure. uh, I think that if Steven Spielberg made Starman, I do not think that I think it would be a good movie because I think he could pull it off, even though Spielberg is very is really not good at sex, like he's not good at introducing that element into anything, but he is really good at bad dads, and so they would probably put in like a whole thing with. You know, um, Star Ka- Karen Allen's like dad or something like that, or like oh, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But I and that's what I mean is like I think that I think that anyone with a flair for um, being a really good entertaining uh, genre director would do a really good job at this. But the fact that they picked a sci-fi horror uh, guy to do this kind of more straightforward uh, mainline audience. Uh, romantic sci romantic drama with these sci-fi elements and kind of like mm-hmm. high concept sci-fi elements really kind of just makes it something a little special that I don't think anybody else could have done. Yeah, I, I I'm surprised. Not that I don't, you know, I obviously I don't know John personally. Sure, um, but you know, I'm surprised that he he had such restraint during this movie. You know, he it felt like he really respected what like. The script was what it was going for, and he and he made something that's just like, well, I'm not going to make the thing here. I'm making this romantic, kind of like a little straight shooter, as far as I can do it, movie, mm-hmm. and and uh, and he and he just nails it. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, we're gonna keep saying it again and again and again. Guy's a good director. He's good at making movies. He's good at making movies. Uh, Mike, what's next on the docket for Stalking Carpenter? Uh, so, up next, we have, uh, like, we're, again, we're about to break into, um, his, like, next big wave trilogy of just, like, stone cold classics. And up for, we got Big Trouble in Little China, getting back together with Kurt Russell, and, um, and then we got Prince of Darkness, uh, which is, uh, just a (laughs) wild movie. Um, which is kind of, uh, kind of just like about, um, weird, uh, cult, religious, weird shit. Um, it's got Donald Pleasance in it from, uh, he was Loomis in Halloween. Um, uh, there's also like some pretty cool, like, uh, Passovers from people that he works with in Big Trouble in Little China. So it makes a lot of sense. Um. It's good. That's going to be a fun episode. Big Trouble in Little China is probably one of his most beloved movies uh, because it is just an outright, like, um, like almost like an exploitation-type film. Uh, mm. It's got one of Kurt Russell's best performances of his entire career. Uh, it's, a, it's a sweet, sweet hour, 39 minutes. Gotta love it. You love it when you see it. You love it when you see it. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and it's got some cool fighting and stuff like that. So you'll be able to put your, uh, professional fighting, uh, technique eye, technical eye on this and see where it ranks in the Batman movies. Not, not, not so professional, but I'm sure it'll be better than the Batman movies. We I don't know see. if I'm a, I'm a professional at being very critical on Batman fight scenes. Yes, you are. Put that on my business card. You are, you are uh, known for that. Yes. That's because they're all bad. That's a fact. Yeah. They're all they're all bad. Yeah. Like, I think uh, I think the fighting in the Dark Knight is done very well. For it's done pretty much just like the, the other ones. It's the best, it's the best yeah. one. I think it's, <laughs> it's done very best. well for its kind of. 
how boxed in Batman is supposed to feel at that point and how everything is kind of shot like that. Um, and it's kind of, it's a nice, uh, meeting in between, uh, the, the kind of static stuff of the Jason Bourne movies, which became the norm and everybody couldn't do as well as the Jason. I just rewatched the first three Jason Bourne movies. The fight scenes in those are so fucking good, but it just sucks because everybody else copied them and didn't, it and not didn't so do them well. Like there's a timing and a dance structure to yeah. the fights editing and the choreography of it. Like that's taken into account by Greengrass. And the fact that nobody else can be able to land that is just like why that style didn't work. I think Batman fighting, Batman odd, fighting. Tang- odd tangent to go on at the end of this episode. Sure. Batman, Batman fighting for me is... The, the way I always imagined it in my mind is the way the Arkham games do it. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, it's like, oh yeah, he can like expertly kind of like maneuver and take down a whole squad of people. But the cool thing about the Arkham games is like because of your player perspective, it's essentially like a single take fight scene, right? Like he, there's no cuts in the fight scenes besides cameras moving in and, and dipping out and stuff like that. And I would love to see a Batman movie where... Mm-hmm. Where you get to pull back and see all the action yeah. happen. Well, and hopefully, and the reason they don't do that is because the Batman suits look fucking stupid. Uh, yeah. If not shot from the right angle, so they have Abs- to kind of absolutely. like come around that. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, Matt Reeves like, like, is coming up, man. He's coming. I up. think so. Yeah, I love in, in the Dark Knight. Batteries. I love Robert in the Dark Knight. Like my like one of my favorite action sequences in the Dark Knight is when he uh ste- when he takes the the businessman from like the tower like that when he scene. steals the businessman he, yeah. he steals the he businessman yeah. he's like yeah. get out of this building yeah you belong to me yeah now. no that's that's the exactly and what that's i'm like, thinking so of when cool. i yeah when i think of that fight scene i also think of the fight scene between joker and batman at the end which is very much more rough and tumble and supposed to yeah, be yeah i like that one too yeah yeah yeah, no, no. Because it's like, it's like, why would the Joker be able to take down Batman? It's like, well, Batman's kind of fucked up. And he's fucked Joker up, and he's got dogs on him, and he's just like, kick yeah. him, kick him. Yeah. yeah. No, sense. I like that to make the Joker scrappy. Cool. Well, enough about that. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining me, as always. You are welcome, as always. Thank you, listeners, for listening. As you already know, we're not the only podcast on Story Screen. We got a lot of articles, podcasts, reviews, whatnot. We also have a YouTube channel where we've been making a lot of cool video content. If you would like to go on there, like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends. We're really trying to uh, do more content like that and broaden our you know, digital portfolio, if you so. But also, uh, if you haven't heard, which it'd be weird if you did, if you hadn't, uh, we got a drive-in now. Uh, we're doing a drive-in amidst these quarantine times where you can... From the comfort of your own vehicle, watch a movie, which is at the Beacon Settlement Camp. But you can find all the details on StoryScreenBeacon.com, including showtimes, prices, and moss. And that's all I got. So thanks again. Stay in the stars, Starman. Yeah.